I'm Joe Mayers, and this is Think Forever. This week, we're finishing the stories of Katerina Luther and Gail Buchanan. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. And I recommend you go back and listen to last week's episode entitled Helper Part 1 before listening to this week. Episode 5, Helper, Part 2. The Luther's daughter, Magdalena, has grown up in a household in which marriage is celebrated. Does she realize her mother's marriage with Martin Luther is anything but conventional? That it is, in fact, heretical in the eyes of the Catholic Church? She must, as she is an intelligent girl who pays attention. But had Martin or Katerina ever talked about the biblical basis with their bright-eyed inquisitive daughter before Philip asked his question about Paul's views on marriage? Well, Philip... Paul doesn't address the idea of obtaining wives by smuggling Catholic nuns out of convents and herring barrels. Martin, you know we weren't actually in the barrels. Are you sure? You're impossible, husband. Magdalena, you remember I was in a convent in Nimbakken when I and several others heard about your father's 95 thesis and about the reform happening here. It was arranged for us to be smuggled out in a wagon carrying herring barrels. We were under a canvas cover behind the barrels. Aha! And that's why our home still smells like pickled herring some nights. By now, everyone is laughing, including Katerina. So you came to the Black Cloister and married Papa? Well, not right away, little treasure. In fact, when the nuns had read some of the writings of Martin Luther, eleven of them wanted to leave their convent. Unable to get help from family, they wrote to Luther. He was the one who sent the man who drove the supply cart bearing herring barrels on Easter, 1523. Two years later, all the nuns were either employed in households, with relatives, or married. Except Katerina von Bora. After some time and much contemplation, and despite the danger it would pose to her, I agreed we should marry. Danger, Papa? Ah, not really danger, but some people didn't agree with some of Papa's views. Katerina doesn't want her daughter to worry, but threats had been made against Luther, and he originally felt it would be too dangerous to risk Katerina's life as well. But we can understand a mother who doesn't want to worry her child. And I knew the marriage would please my father, rile the Pope, cause the angels to laugh and the devils to weep. But what about... Paul's views. I ask because I want to be ready should someone ask me. Philip, you're right. It's an important question. Let's look at 1 Corinthians and examine what Paul says and what he doesn't say about marriage. But first, let's look at Genesis 2. Not good that a man should be alone. Helper fit for him. Therefore, a man should leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they should become one flesh. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. 
If God were against marriage and had advocated celibacy for Adam, would he have said what he said here? For that matter, would any of us even be here discussing this if there had been no children? But how? We'll talk about that later. In 1 Corinthians, when Paul discusses celibacy, he makes it clear that it's his opinion, not a command from God, when he says he wishes that all were as he himself was, that is celibate. But he goes on to say that in view of their immediate circumstances, persecution and hardship, that it was good for a person to remain as he is, whether it is to remain married or to remain unmarried. So if it is given to someone to remain unmarried, celibate, it's right for that person. But for me, next to God's word, there is no more precious treasure than holy matrimony. God's highest gift on earth is a pious, cheerful, God-fearing, home-keeping wife with whom you may live peacefully, to whom you may entrust your goods and body and life. And that is who my Katie is to me. Nineteen sixty six, Topeka, Kansas. Back then, for the most part, our mother was our mother shopper of groceries, planner of meals, doer of laundry, dispenser of chores. She wore modest dresses, often with an apron tied around her waist. The house was never cluttered. Never. If a mitten or ball or scarf or book were left out, our mother deposited the offending item in the bottom drawer of the dresser in the front hall. The fine drawer. Meaning that in order to retrieve the item, the offender had to pay a nickel fine. We rarely left anything lying around. When I say our mother was our mother for the most part, there were swaths of time when she was not our mother but our father's wife, his confidant, his equal in conversation and debate. Most evenings when he arrived home from his church office, before dinner he and my mother had adult time in the formal living room. Adult time meant the glass-paned French doors between the living room and the front hall were closed. Adult time meant dad sitting in the olive green, mid-century modern lounge chair with his feet up. Dave Brubeck or Miles Davis on the stereo, Mom, sans apron, on the couch, sweating glasses of scotch on the rocks in their hands. Years later, I learned that this time was when my father shared with my mother the challenges and successes of his day, when she asked questions and gave her opinions and insight. They discussed books they were reading, the latest news from around the world. I'm sure they discussed parenting as well, because they never discussed it in front of the four of us. In fact, they never argued or disagreed in front of us. Decisions were made behind closed doors, either the French doors to the living room or their solid oak bedroom door. They were a team, a united front, and my mother stood beside, not behind him. Much of this I didn't truly comprehend at the time. As I said before, we should have been watching our mother more closely.
1536. Wittenberg, The Black Cloister. It is late evening. Only Martin and Katerina remain in the parlor. Martin adds two more small logs to the heating stove. That's a waste, my love. We should go to bed soon and won't be here to benefit from the warmth. But she makes no move to get up from her chair. Martin pulls a chair up in front of her, takes her feet into his lap, and removes her slippers. He begins massaging one of her feet. Katerina leans her head back and closes her eyes. Ah, you know the way to a woman's heart. You look tired tonight, wife. Maybe you can sleep a little later than the first birds tomorrow morning. You need not always be the morning star of Wittenberg. There's too much to do. Apple pies. What would I do without you, Katie? I'm sure Philip would take care of you. They both laugh, but then Martin speaks seriously. This work I do, translating, teaching, writing, I couldn't do the things I do in the service of God without you. He knew that and sent you to me. Katerina leans forward to put her hand on her husband's cheek. It has been my joy and my honor to work beside you for the glory of God. But please, don't stop rubbing my feet. Nineteen sixty six, Topeka, Kansas. On June eighth, nineteen sixty six, a massive tornado with winds between two hundred and two hundred and fifty miles per hour cut a diagonal swath over a quarter mile wide and twenty two miles long through Topeka, killing seventeen, injuring over five hundred and destroying buildings, cars, trees, and our naive sense of security. The great roaring storm passed by our red brick home while leaving only the foundations of others. Afterwards, my father went out into what looked like a war zone for hours at a time, allowed through law enforcement restrictions because he was a pastor. He returned with bloody, shell-shocked, mud-covered strangers that the overwhelmed hospitals couldn't take. My mother led them with her gentle hand and voice into our home, up the stairs, and into warm baths. She combed broken glass from their hair and found clothes, blankets, and clean sheets for them. She fed them soup and slices of warm bread. The love of God flowed through them, this pastor and his wife, in tangible ways during those days following the storm. Did any of the injured strangers hear my mother's whispered prayers as she bandaged their wounds? Did they even remember the pastor who found them wandering their devastated neighborhoods? I like to think they did remember and maybe found their way to God because of it. Now, all these years later, what I hold in my heart is the obvious representation of a godly marriage demonstrated by my parents to those injured in the tornado, to the members of their congregation throughout their lives of ministry, and to their children. The teamwork, the support they gave each other, which allowed them to serve others and each other. 
the relationship upon which they built a safe, God-filled home for me and my siblings. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Think Forever podcast. The story was written by Laura Findlay Evans and performed by Jalen Harris, Leslie Mayers, Mark Mayers, Emily Chima, Ryan Hacker, Laura Findlay Evans, and me, Joe Mayers. If you're enjoying the show, we would love it if you would leave us a five-star review. It's so helpful as we try to reach even more people with these stories, and I'll be selecting one of those to read next week on our Behind the Scenes episode. So if you'd like to hear your review read out, leave us a five-star review and make sure to listen in next week when I'm joined by author Laura Findlay Evans to dive into her story, Helper. Thank you again for listening and I'll see you next time.